the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God has been laying out to the children of Israel how they were to live in holiness just as He is holy. God had given them the ceremonial laws and was now laying out the civil laws. These laws would distinguish themselves from the nations around them as they were drastically different and put God's love and compassion towards all men and women on display. Today, we look at trespasses that were deserving of capital punishment. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1. God has built this relationship or made this relationship possible with his people, and he is calling them now to live as those who are in relationship, right relationship with him, to be holy like him. We've been seeing it time and time again. Like God will stop in his instruction to Moses and he'll say, he said, and, and be ye holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I mean, he will say it over and over and over again. We're going to see it tonight as well. And, and the idea here is that even though, you know, many of these laws in their practical application of, of like we don't do these things, they can apply to us in the sense that we're called to be holy as well. And there are things here that we can learn from these laws that governed Israeli society that will be principles for us to govern our lives as well. So we've completed all of the ceremonial laws up to this point concerning sacrifice and ritual purity, which has brought us to the civil laws now that govern Israeli society. As Israel was to be a holy nation, they had to operate by different principles and then everyone around them. That included their government and their priests. And tonight we're going to get into that. We've been talking about the people up to this point, the behavior that is, is to mark their society and how they're to live and conduct themselves. But now we're going to get into how the government's to conduct themselves and in dealing with crime. And then secondly, how the priests are to conduct themselves and be separate from those priestly groups that were in other cultures around them. And we're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. We read that tonight in 1 Peter chapter 2. But we are a holy nation of a spiritual kingdom. It says that we offer spiritual sacrifices, right? As spiritual priests. So it's of a spiritual kingdom. So while these laws certainly don't govern church life, and you may, as we read through this, see where the church got a little out of hand with that over time. While they don't govern church life, they do give us some insight into how we're to be different than the world around us. Those are things that we must take heed to. So as we dig in here to see how Israel is a holy nation, might we see some principles about how we're a spiritual holy nation as well. So chapter 20 verse 1, and we get here into God, the role of government in Israel, and in particular, how they wield the sword to deal capital punishment. So verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the stra- strangers that sojourn in Israel, that gives any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. 
the people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. Here we find out, we've already learned from chapter 18, the laws concerning sexual sin, that they were not to worship Molech and in particular offer their children as sacrifices to Molech. So here it says again, verse 2, it means in addition, so continuing the theme of the civil laws, here's some more civil laws, Moses. He says, whosoever he be here, and this applies to everybody, to strangers as well. So if you were a foreigner, a non-Jew who lived there, this law and all these laws that we're going to study, they applied to you as well. And in the case of Molech here, to offer one seed to Molech, the penalty for that was death remind you what that was. Molech was the god of of pleasure, the god of lust, the god of sex. They would take Molech and they would, he would be an iron or a metal idol and he would have his arms outstretched always. It was kind of gross. When we went to Megiddo and they showed you down at one of the very bottom levels, so it was in Canaanite times. This is before Israel conquered the area and Ahab set up a city there. But down there, they had a altar to Molech down there and you're looking down there and you're thinking to yourself there were children who were sacrificed down there to Molech in this very spot they would heat the metal up the idol up and in the outstretched arms they would either kill the baby beforehand and let him burn there or they would burn him alive and that was what they would do and so God says if any of you give of your seed you dedicate your children to Molech and and offer them to before his hands the penalty for that is death he shall surely be put to death dying he shall die is what it says for someone to do such a thing they have gone so far they must be put to death they must be put down this becomes the first capital crime after murder in the Bible. Technically, though, it is committing murder to do so, so it's not too different from the fact that God established that penalty for murder back in Genesis 9-6. Now, why is this such a problem? Well, we'll see that in a moment in verse 3. But I want to establish a point here. I realize that there are different views on capital punishment. You know, I remember talking to a lady who was a very godly woman who loved the Lord, knew the word, and she knew what the word said, but she was very much against capital punishment. I asked once, I said, you know what the word says? Why are you against capital punishment? And she goes, well, that cuts off any chance for them to ever repent. I mean, they're going to die and go to hell when you do that. And I thought, well, I understand the compassion. The very mark of government, you don't have government unless they have the ability to perform capital punishment. You don't. Because there are certain things that God says that man and that woman must not live. And he established it way back in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. And when God established it in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, remember it was after the flood. It was after all the violence that was taking place and that God had to destroy the world. As we're going to see in a moment, the Lord's going to say, if you don't do it, I will do it. I will do it. You know, there are times when we see in a society that has gone violent, like the days before Noah. A lot of the time, it's because government has abdicated the responsibility that they are given by God to punish evildoers, to keep those people from harming anyone else. This is established not by man. This was something established by God. Why is the punishment for this crime? Death. Verse 3. He says, And I will set my face against this man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. The phrase there, to defile my sanctuary, it means to make God's dwelling place unclean. Remember the Lord, he dwells in the midst of his people. 
And if someone's going to perform such a heinous act in his very midst, he says, this is what the, the penalty is going to be. There are things that we see today in our culture that when I was a, a teenager, you would have never seen, never seen. And, you know, you wonder if there's going to be a bill to pay in our time because our society just doesn't care. When God rained fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, sexual sin was just one of the many problems that that city had. The Bible says one of their main problems was pride. They shook their fist at God thinking, no one's stopping us. No one's coming against us. We're going to live how we want, do what we want. We are our own God. We determine our own destiny. We're going to do what we want to do. When a culture and a society gets that way, you know, it's not long before you even can realize it that, that fire and brimstone is going to be rained down. God says, and the heaven is my throne, and earth, the earth is my footstool. You know, you're not going to defile my land forever, my dwelling place forever. And secondly, he says, because you profane my holy name. For a Jewish person or someone living in the society of Israel to do this thing, to treat God's name as common, to make him just like all the other gods, to violate his honor, the Lord says there must be a swift and a severe punishment so that no one thinks that's okay. And a lot of times... And we see in the scripture, God will be severe with a leader, like Uzziah. Like Uzziah is a great king. You read the story of his life, you think, man, look at what he did. He, he brought revival to Israel from his being a godly man. And he brought prosperity to Israel by being a good leader. But remember at the end of his life, he got prideful. And he decided, I'm going to lay hold of the priesthood too. That I don't want anything kept from me. I'm the king here. And he went into the holy place and he touched the altar to serve there. And what happened to him? God made him a leper. You think, Lord, I mean, this is a failure and it's a big failure, but come on. I mean, you know, he's been faithful his whole life. And, but see, when you're like a leader like that and you're going to misrepresent the Lord, the Lord says, you know, there needs to be a swift penalty lest other kings in the future think they can do this. Remember Manasseh? He was a wicked king. He was the one that, according to tradition, had Isaiah sawn in half. That Hebrews 11 mentions that some of those who were faithful were sawn asunder. What they would do is they'd put them in logs and then they would slice them this way. That's how they'd kill them. That's what he did to this faithful old man who had been walked with God his whole life, loved his nation and preached God's mercy and grace to them and truth as well. He preached judgment and, and repentance. And Manasseh didn't want to hear it anymore and had the man cut in half. The Bible says he was carried off to a foreign country. God judged him because you, gotta, you can't act like that. Zedekiah had his, his sons were slain in front of him. His two eyes, his eyes were put out. We read about though how God pled with him through Jeremiah. Jeremiah's in prison and Zechariah comes to him and says, Jeremiah, I don't really want to hear what the Lord has to say. And Jeremiah says, why am I telling you what the Lord has to say? You're not going to let me go and you're not going to listen to me. He goes, no, I really want to hear it. He says, I know the Lord's speaking through you. I, I don't like what you say sometimes, but I know the Lord's speaking from you, to you. And he goes, okay, Zechariah. Babylonians are laying siege to the city. Surrender, surrender. You won't be king anymore, but you know what? You'll live and your city will live and your people will live. It will be the best thing you've ever done as a leader. Zechariah goes, if I go out to my generals and I go out to the other nobles and I say that, they'll kill me. He wouldn't trust God. So his eyes are put out and his sons are killed right before his sight. I mean, I can go on and on. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, come on, Pharaoh. I've raised you up for this purpose, not to destroy you, but to be the, the Pharaoh who lets my people go free. Don't fight me on this. If you fight me on this, you will lose everything. And Egypt was wasted. There comes a time when a situation is so bad that the Lord says, 
I do honor your free choice, but I have choices I can make as well. And what you're doing must be dealt with. And this type of behavior, this type of action, this murderous, idolatrous behavior, the Lord says, you are not going to drag me through the mud and make me like every other ugly God out there. I am different, and you're not going to profane my name. The Lord says, if you won't execute it, then I'll take care of it by judgment. Verse 4. And if the people of the land do in any ways hide their eyes, the phrase there means to, it means to shut your eyes, and it was a word that they would use to ignore. People of the land do ignore when the man, when he gives his seed unto Molech, and they don't kill him. He goes, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off. And all that go a whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. It's interesting God always refers to idolatry as like adultery or prostitution, whoring, the idea of, of playing the harlot. And God always equated idolatry to unfaithfulness in marriage. He's like, I love you. I have, I've given myself to you. I've become your God. And for you to go to idolatry, you've, you've been unfaithful. You have a great marriage. You have a great life here if you just stick with me and just trust me. But if you're going to be unfaithful, that's what idolatry is. We know that because the Lord is constantly tugging on our hearts when we're somewhere we shouldn't be, right? He's constantly tugging and saying, where are you going over there? I love you. Don't you trust that I have a good plan for you? And then we kind of just tune it out and we kind of go and do what we think we need to do or what we want to do or we just kind of go numb and go for it. God says, don't do that. In this case, the penalty is death. Now, another thing that had the death penalty was consulting with those who practice witchcraft. He says in verse 6, the soul that turns after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, here it is, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Here, if he would turn away, and the idea here, it turns, means to turn away from God to consult these other supernatural sources. Familiar spirits, if you didn't remember, it means one who consults with the spirits of the dead. So this would be the person who would somehow conjure up the spirit and speak to them like the witch of Endor did with Samuel or the wizards would be someone who would become a medium someone who would channel the dead they would now be indwelt by the dead spirit and they would speak to a person he says don't you go and turn away from me to consult them if that's if you do that the penalty is death verse 8 and you shall keep my statutes and do them I am the Lord which sanctifies you So for everyone that curses his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother and his blood shall be upon him. In other words, it says his blood shall be upon him. It's no one's fault but his own. No one's fault but his own. Now, we read this one and we think, well, that sounds really harsh. I mean, my kids have gotten mad at me and said some nasty things to me at times. I don't want to have to put them to death. Remember, we go up to verse 8, and it says, And you shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which does sanctify you. We're to be doers of God's word. He sets the tone here. This is someone that we're referring to here who curses his father and mother, who is not a doer of the word at all. He is someone who is in rebellion to God's standards. You may have heard it said that disobedient children were stoned in the Old Testament. That's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. In fact, this only applied to an adult son or daughter who repeatedly and defiantly refused to honor their parents. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21 with me. Verses 18 through 21, this is where that comes from. This is where that thought comes from, that disobedient kids were stoned. They were not. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son... 
which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto him, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city, unto the gate of his place. And if you stop there, you think, oh, yeah, it does say that. No, let's keep going. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, here's the crimes. This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. I have to have that talk with my five-year-old all the time. Stop being a glutton and a drunkard. Do you see what I'm saying here? This is not someone who is a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or even a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old or a 13-year-old. I'm still trying to get those kids to eat more food. I'd be happy if they were getting a little gluttony going on. Because the mom makes the dinner and prepares hard and does it. And then, you know, they look at it and you're like, eat your food. And so a little gluttony might be okay every once in a while. Here, obviously, it's referring to someone who's old enough to overindulge in life. Glutton and a drunkard. The idea here is a lazy person who all they do is eat and drink. Someone who's not becoming a productive member of society. That's the individual that's being referenced here. And again, it shows here that if they have a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey after they have chastened him. So this is not a child who slips up or even, you know, a teenager who slips up every once in a while. How many of us did really dumb things as teenagers? I did some really dumb things and I learned some really important lessons, really important lessons. We have a a joke uh, in our family that we'll make a comment about batteries sometimes. And someone will say, somebody stole your battery. And the reason for that joke in my family is because as a foolish teenager, I needed a, I needed a battery for my car. My mom and dad had a, a Chevy Malibu. It was an old car and it purred when you ran it, but it needed a battery. And I thought, well, I'm turning 16. I need to get a vehicle. And so, but I can't, I didn't have a job. So how am I going to drive this car without a job to put gas into it? But anyway, that was the plan. I need a, I need a battery. That will get me driving. That will get me a set of wheels. And so me and my friends, I said, what am I going to do, man? I need a set of wheels. We got the Malibu. We got to fix this thing up. And they said, we can get you a battery. So sure enough, we broke into somebody's car and stole a battery. Now, every single time we would turn the car on, and then it had some other problems we had to deal with, you know, like rust falling out of the bottom of the car and stuff. But every time anyone came near that car, I thought, like, this guy's going to do it. This, guy, this guy's going to find out I stole his battery. But I was so guilt-ridden. I was a Christian, a young baby Christian, but I was a Christian at the time. So eventually what we did with the battery is we, well, I did. I took it at night, put it by the guy's house, a little note, and sorry. Because <laughs> the guilt was eating me up every time I saw that car. We all do really dumb things. I mean, if I had gotten caught, the course of my life would have been a lot different than it is now. So... We do foolish things. The point here is when they're not responding to chastening, not responding to correction, and not listening. And even then, you know, it was an extreme course of action to save the community from someone who was a degenerate, one who cursed his father and his mother, one who invoked divine harm upon their own parents, certainly qualified for that. Unless you think that this is unfair, you might be saying, well, what if the parents are bad? What if they're too strict and they're too hard? Well, remember, they weren't the ones who made the final decision to stone the child. And I say child loosely, stone the adult degenerate. The elders evaluated this case. They had to bring him down to the gates. And when they brought him down to the gates, they had to present their case. 
And if they presented their case and they decided, you know what? No, this guy has crossed a line. He has qualified for the, the capital punishment. And only then would they enact this thing. Now, maybe you're there saying, but that's still harsh, Will. I mean, come on. I mean, maybe what if he came to his senses when he was 35 and turned his life around? Well, if you think it's still too harsh, turn to Matthew 15, because Jesus quotes Leviticus. A little bit of context here. The culture in Jesus' day is, is one that is confusing. They were very religious, very spiritual in the sense of like very law-abiding by their rabbis' standards. But they had come very far from God's law. And they were doing a lot of things that God made very clear in his word through the law of Moses that were intolerable. But they had written their own laws to kind of explain them away and make it okay. So this was a very bad society. The families were not strong. It was a rough time in Israeli history. And so in chapter 15, verse 1 of Matthew, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, Notice they come from Jerusalem. Jesus is in Galilee. That's a long trip. They're going to make this whole trek. Why? We heard they don't wash their hands when they eat. What is that? That's emblematic of the problem in that culture during that time. Now, it wasn't for sanitation purposes. It was for the ritual cleansing that we read about in Leviticus. They weren't doing that according to their rules. In their rules, they had to come to the mikvah. These, they had baths everywhere. If you go to every ruin over there in Israel, they've got mikvahs everywhere. In fact, they have real mikvahs still out there. If you see the Orthodox people, sometimes they just jump right in and do it and then go back out and go to the wailing wall. The mikvahs that they have over there, they would have to cleanse themselves three different ways. They'd have to hold their hands like this, let the water run off this way, you know, hold their hands like this and let it run off this way, or the other side, and then you know, like this or with their hands down and let it run off their wrists that way. So they weren't performing the, the threefold ritual of cleansing, which is not in the Bible, by the way. And so they come up, and that's their beef to pick with Jesus. A big, long, probably three- or four-day trek to come up to Jesus and have that conversation. And so Jesus, he levels with them. And he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And notice what he points to. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. Jesus references this verse from Leviticus. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother... It's a gift, or literally, it's for your good. In other words, you can curse your mom and dad as long as you tell them beforehand, oh, this is for your good. You dirty, rotten, lousy mom and dad, you're never fair with me, and I don't understand. All the other teenagers get to go out, I'm going partying. And as long as you said beforehand, this is for your good, you need to hear this. Then the command was null and void. And so they honor not, and he does that by whatsoever, it is a gift by whatsoever thou might be profited by me. And you honor not, he honor not his father or his mother. Well, he shall be free. He's okay. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. Look at how well these traditions are working. You're actually allowing people to do something that God says was a capital crime. A lot of the problem we have in our culture today is moms and dads, they don't know how to be moms and dads in the sense of, well, I don't know which, how it's too far with our kids. And so the children grow up when they don't have boundaries. I'm a pretty strict dad. I have a wife who helps me be more balanced in that. So she is more compassionate than I am. I'm pretty much, you know, like I see him pouting and I'm like, suck it up. And she helps me to be more balanced and to sit down with him and maybe go, are your feelings hurt? Suck it up. No, I'm just kidding. Definitely she helps me to be more compassionate, understanding, and even with our rules to go, you know, maybe you're being a little strict. I grew up in an interesting home. We had some interesting rules. Like if you were sick, you didn't go to school. That meant you stayed in bed all day. The idea was, is if you're really sick, you need to rest. If you're not really sick, then go to school and get it done. 
I find nothing wrong with that principle. But I have come to find out that very few families have that rule. And it is probably a strict way to view things. Not everybody has to have that rule. I'm not saying here that everybody has to have the same boundaries. But kids need boundaries and they need you to be consistent with them, whatever they may be. Don't feel like you're being a horrible parent because when they cross those boundaries, there are consequences. I always tell my kids, I'm disciplining you right now because I want you to grow up and be a productive member of society. And someday I won't be around to spank you or I won't be around to discipline you or I won't be around to have this conversation with you. You're gonna have to go to the Lord because he will be the one spanking you at that time. It's very important to honor our parents. It's very important to treat them with respect. And it's important that you train your kids to do that because if they don't learn to respect you as mom and dad, whom they probably have some affection for, even though they're very selfish, why would they respect their boss? You know, why would they respect their pastor? Why would they respect their wife or their husband when they get married someday? It's important for us to teach them those things. God has called his people to be a holy nation, to live doing what is right, to do what is pleasing in God's eyes. This is so different from how the rest of the world lives. It is countercultural. But it is one of the best ways for the people around us to see how awesome and amazing and different our God is. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.